And Jesus' response was one of delighted amazement, so much so that he pointed it out to the whole crowd. And Luke has recorded here so we can learn from this fellow too. Well, let's pray as we do so. Dear God, as we gather here on any given Sunday, there is such a wide range of thoughts and feelings and needs. Some of us are aware of our needs. Some of us are blind to our needs. Some of us are confused with cluttered minds and busy weeks ahead and tired from the week past. But Lord, we all need you. So please help us now to learn together about how we can approach you in a way that delights you that you find acceptable and pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, keep your Bibles open. And I want to start in verse 9. tells us there that Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed at the faith of this Roman centurion. Now, this is a a non-Jewish military officer, part of the occupying force. Of the Roman Empire. Now, in all four Gospels, there's only one other time that it's recorded that Jesus was amazed like he was at this moment. And when I noticed the other spot, I was personally quite concerned. It was when Jesus visited his hometown. Except on that occasion, he was amazed at their lack of faith. And remember, Jesus told them on that occasion a story about how God healed Naaman, (laughs) interestingly, a non-Jewish military officer, instead of healing many Jews at the time. And those that heard him say that were so angry, so offended, that they drove him out of town intent on killing him. So why was I concerned? Because I grew up in a Christian family. I've gone to church all my life. I worked out I've probably heard about 30,000 Bible talks. It's a lot. And uh, I've read the whole Bible several times and I've memorized dozens of Bible verses. I am familiar with Jesus. So at least on the surface, who do I look more like? I look more like the people in his hometown, don't I? And remember, Jesus, so Jesus uh, when, he, when, when they recognised uh, what he was saying, their response was to chase him out and, and kill him. I might look like them, but, but in my heart, who do I want to be more like? I want to be more like this centurion. So if you're like me, because of your background, please be honest with yourself and check your heart as we go through this morning. Is it just the nod of familiarity and mental agreement that's going on for you? Or is it the, the vitality of a heart genuinely moved and changed by God? Well, let's now go back to the start of the story. The first thing to notice 
it says, after Jesus had finished saying all these things, what things? Well, this account follows straight after Jesus has been teaching the crowds uh, what godly living looks like. And we've looked at that the last few weeks. Loving enemies, showing mercy, forgiving, not condemning, and so on. And he finished with two stories to point out that true faith, the person who really listens to Jesus, is the person who then trusts what he says and obeys it. Now, for Luke's original readers, there's a problem. You see, he's writing to a bloke called Theophilus and others that would have read it after that, and they were not Jews. And they might be reading the previous chapter and appreciating this lovely picture of Jesus teaching all the Jews on some grassy hillside. But at the same time thinking in their hearts, I could never know God like one of them because I'm not a Jew. Now, it's highly unlikely anyone here this morning thinks you can't know God because, well, you're not a Jew. But it's highly likely that many people here may be thinking that, well, you can't know God or be really close to him for all sorts of other reasons. The kind of sin that only you and God knows about. Things that you've done in the past. Things that have been done to you or said about you. Perhaps you feel that that for some reason God just can't love a person like you or that he could never forgive you. Perhaps you find it hard to accept the whole idea that, that God can be personal. Or maybe you simply just don't know much about him. I think Luke has included this account here deliberately, inspired by the Holy Spirit straight after that teaching that Jesus has been doing because this centurion would have been the most unlikely person to be accepted by Jesus, let alone be held up as an example of great faith to all the Jews that were there at the time. He's a military leader of the occupying Roman force. His very occupation sets him in opposition to God's people. And friends, I have to say, I find this deeply encouraging because it reminds me, reminds us that no one, no one is beyond the reach of the mercy and kindness of God. If you're taking notes, I know some of you are note takers. I uh, grew up as a a note taker. I still like to take notes. So uh, a bit of a head nod or two. So if I go home with uh, whiplash and RSI, it's been a great sermon. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. Anyone can approach Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, or what anyone else has ever done or said about you, you can approach Jesus. Friends, that's good news. All right, in our remaining time, I want to walk through this passage And we're going to look at four approaches to Jesus that we find on the way through. And the first is the centurion's sick servant in verse 2. So sick that according to Luke, who you'll remember is a medical doctor, 
He's about to die. If you're about to die... Sorry, I'm not getting eye contact with any of you deliberately at this point. (laughs) But if you're about to die, you need Jesus desperately. As we saw a few weeks ago, Jesus can heal physically so a person can live a bit longer. My grandmother was miraculously healed physically at the point of death and lived another 24 years before going to be with Jesus in heaven. It's another story for another day. But Jesus' priority is spiritual healing, forgiven sins, so a person can live forever with God. Another lady I knew was on death's door when Jesus healed her spiritually. Her fear of death was replaced by peace and hope. She lived another 24 days before I took her funeral. And we rejoiced that she was with the Lord in heaven because of his mercy to her at the 11th hour of life. Friends, if you have a loved one who is critically ill, it is right to pray for and seek their physical healing. And those of you in the medical profession are so often wonderfully used by God to be part of that healing. But friends, what they need even more than that is to find Jesus and the forgiveness he offers so that whenever the end comes, be it 24 days, 24 years or more, they can be filled with the hope and peace that continues beyond death. Perhaps as I say that, you're aware of someone that you know, a family member or a friend who's at that point now. Can I encourage you to pray fervently for them? Pray in particular that God might give her the opportunity to share with them the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the second group of people to approach Jesus are the Jewish elders. They've been sent by the centurion to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Listen to what they say in verse 4. Jesus, they're speaking to Jesus, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Listen to those words. He deserves to have you do this. It's not really asking, is it? How do you think they think God works? It's all about merit. It's all about keeping some kind of score. If you do the wrong thing, you owe God. But if you do the right thing, God owes you. It's like they're saying to Jesus, you owe this guy. He's worthy. He loves our people. And you know what? He paid for our new church building. Now, before we shake our heads at them, Aren't we just the same sometimes? I'm a good person. I go to church. I give money to the church. I go to a Bible study too. Hey, I'm really spiritual. 
I obey the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. Most of the time, anyway. I'm a good citizen of the community. <laughs> Jesus owes me. In fact, he's lucky he's got a person like me. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Why do we get frustrated sometimes and upset at God when he doesn't come through for us? I think it's because we feel a sense of entitlement to his kindness. He owes us and we get a bit angry when he hasn't delivered what we needed. Bless me, God. Give me what I deserve. That's a scary thing to ask. Can I say if Like me, you recognize yourself in that kind of thinking at all. We really need some perspective. God owes us nothing. We owe God everything. God gives us life and breath and every good thing. And what do we bring to the relationship? Sin. It's quite a contribution, isn't it? What do we deserve? His judgment and punishment. But he loves us. And he sent Jesus into the world to take our punishment on the cross. So we can receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness instead of punishment. What a God we have. We are not entitled to his goodness and love. He freely gives it, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And when we get that perspective, this is the wonderful thing. We discover that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. And that's kind of what we see in the third approach to Jesus. This is the Roman centurion. We've already seen how much he loves and cares for his servant, which in itself is quite radical in the day. And and, and we see how he took action to find help by sending the Jewish elders. Listen to his words in verse 6 and what they reveal about his heart. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. (laughs) It's the exact opposite of the attitude we saw in the religious leaders, wasn't it? I, I do not deserve. I'm not worthy. He's humble. He recognizes Jesus' greatness and he responds appropriately. And then he says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion knows from experience that words are only as powerful as the authority that stands behind them. 
words are only as powerful as the authority that stands behind them. He himself is under authority. So when he gives orders, they are obeyed. All the military force and might of the Roman Empire stands behind him. But when Jesus is coming, he recognizes that the authority that stands behind Jesus is nothing short of the very power of God. So the logic is simple, really. The God who created the world simply by speaking, surely he he can heal a dying servant simply by speaking, can't he? (laughs) Say the word and my servant will be healed. His mouth speaks of the faith that's in his heart. His actions clearly show he trusts Jesus completely. And Jesus is amazed at his great faith. So much so that he turns to the crowd, who would have been nearly all Jews, and says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Oh, ouch, that must have stung. They knew lots about God, didn't they? They've grown up with it. And yet they were blind to who Jesus was. This centurion... He probably knew very little about God. And yet he saw who Jesus was clearly and trusted him completely. And verse 10, it's almost like an afterthought, shows that his faith was well placed. The men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Don't you love that? I think it's worth highlighting just how unexpected it is to see such faith in a man whose very occupation placed him at odds with God's people. So for us, I think we shouldn't be surprised to see God at work in unusual places and in unexpected people. In fact, I think we should be praying for it. The sad irony is this. It isn't always the religious leaders, the ministers, the theologians who truly seek and trust Jesus. Often it's the unsuspecting layperson, the housewife, the farmer, the soldier, the nurse, the tradie, the school student, common people in our community who demonstrate great Faith in God. We must never lose sight that the gospel is a simple message which has no respect of persons nor requires any special credentials to believe it. So what is great faith? What is great faith? It's a good question. It's not praying with your eyes very tightly shut. It's not shouting at God as though you really mean it and he's a little bit deaf. 
It's not merely knowing about God. And it's not going through the motions of religious duties to somehow win his favour so he might give you a yes when you come with a request. And can I say, all the faith in the whole world will do nothing for you if it's placed in the wrong thing or the wrong person. I want to give you a really simple answer to that question. Great faith is recognising Jesus clearly and relying on Jesus completely. Only Jesus, unique in all of history, only Jesus has God's authority on earth. His authority to to forgive, to help and to heal and to bring hope to our lives. So turn to Jesus Trust Jesus and do what he says. I began by asking the question, how should we approach God? And we've seen three approaches. The desperation of a dying servant. I'm sick and I'll die without hope unless Jesus forgives me and heals my heart. Secondly, the the kind of merit mentality of the religious leaders. I'm a good person and God owes me. Or the flip side, I guess, is I'm a bad person and I owe God. So what's Jesus got to do with it? i got no hope. Can I say, that's not what the Bible teaches. The third ones we've seen is the faith of the centurion who approached Jesus with humility sincerity and an earnest need. Even though he knew so little about Jesus, he saw Jesus clearly and he trusted Jesus completely. Now, can I say on that, it doesn't mean that there's no need to add knowledge to our faith. We don't want to leave with that idea. We should. But it does mean that we should always add faith to our knowledge of Jesus. But there's one more. There's one more. The crowd. Look at, it, look at them there at the end. I call them the whatever crowd. Who watch everything, but never really commit, never really make up their mind. They just go with the flow. They're the swing voters who follow the loudest voice on any given day. And while they might be impressed with Jesus today, they'll be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, a little bit later on. So which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Which one, right now, do your words and actions suggest is true? Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his great love and compassion for a sick servant. We thank you for his love and compassion for a Roman military officer occupying force among God's people that he would go to take care of his need.
we thank you for your kindness and mercy even to those religious leaders. You heard them out, Lord Jesus, and you still went with them. And so often you're patient with me. When I have my merit mentality days, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Help us all, especially as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, help us all to see who Jesus is clearly. And Father, help us to trust him completely for our good, for your glory and the growth of your kingdom. Amen.